Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Reality, reactions, and responsibility. Good morning, Alex McFarland here. So honored that you're listening. And this is Jenna Ellis in the morning. I have the privilege of sitting in for Jenna this week, and I'm very glad that you're listening. And we've got a great show today, a lot of headlines to go over. And I've got an author that I want you to meet here in just a moment, but I welcome you. And uh, again, let me say what a privilege it is to be sitting in for Jenna this week. I'm going to give a scripture because there are so many headlines about things going on in the country. And, you know, God calls his people to make a difference. And in fact, in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, the Lord says this of his church, his followers. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, this speaks to our responsibility in the world. And, you know, when I look at all of the goings-on in the world, uh, often good, frequently bad, you know, I think about the responsibility of the church to be that clarion voice of truth. The church is to influence people. Um, As my friend, the late Chuck Colson, would say, the church is the conscience of the culture. And yes, we are to take positions because they're true and righteous, uh, regardless of whether or not they might be popular. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus said to his church, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The church is that light up on a high place for all to see. The church is that city on the hill. And, you know, to help the church be equipped to do that, God raises up people to uh, inspire, inform, and encourage. And I want you to meet uh, an author right now. This book caught my eye for a couple of reasons, Unraveling Philosophy, an Interactive Guide by Adam Grosa and J.P. Moreland, uh, co-author of this book, Adam Grosa. Uh, He earned his doctorate at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and currently serves as Associate Professor of Philosophy and Vice President for Enrollment at Gateway Seminary there on the West Coast. I also was uh, taken by this book because uh, anything written by J.P. Moreland, he was a professor at Liberty when I was doing my apologetics degree many years ago, and uh, Dr. J.P. Moreland has spoken for us in our conferences, and he's just, uh, I would say, a world treasure when it comes to Christian thought. But um, Adam Groza, author of Unraveling Philosophy, thanks for being with us here this morning on the Jenna Ellis program. Great to be with you, Alex. Thanks for having me, and good morning. 
Well, good morning to you. A, a really early good morning because you are on the West Coast, right? Yeah, I'm out in the Los Angeles area. So, so you got up at 5 a.m. to be on the radio with me. Adam, thanks. <laughs> Great to be here. Well, hey, you know, you you truly are a servant of truth then, getting up at this early hour to do an interview. But um, I, I've got to ask you, how, how many books have you written? Is this um, one of your first books or your very first or what? Uh, this is, um, I published a book in 2020 by myself called Faith Wins, um, that, which deals with uh, hel- helping Christians overcome a crisis of belief because there are so many Christians that deal with doubt, and they have what I would call a crisis of faith. So I wrote a book in 2020 about that. And then um, this is the first co-authored book that I've ever done, and it was an honor to work with JP. But I've been a part of other book projects um, going back to 2016. So I think this is my fifth publication project. Right. Well, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. to do a radio interview, that's just part of the gig, isn't it? But, uh, hey, tell me about, uh, I want to get into the book, because, folks, you need to know about this. There is one of the stewardship issues of the church is to, uh, shall we say, attend to the life of the mind, and really to, to grow in knowledge and the ability to think precisely. And, uh, Dr. Groza, you um, are to be commended for helping people to do that. But um, tell me a little bit about Gateway Seminary, though. Well, Gateway Seminary is one of the six Southern Baptist seminaries. We're the seminary really in the western United States. We've uh, got—the main campus is in Ontario here in Southern California, but we have campuses in Portland, the San Francisco area, Denver, Phoenix, and online. We've been around for almost 80 years. We've got about 2,000 students. We're the most ethnically diverse seminary in the United States, according to our creditors, and we've we've, uh, graduated almost 11,000 students in our history. So it's a, it's a school that's growing. It's a school that's strong and stable and really stands for truth in the Western United States. Amen. God bless you, brother. And uh, give the website of Gateway Seminary, if you would. Yeah, you bet. People can go to gs.edu and learn more about our, um, our pre-baccalaureate uh, master's degrees and then also our uh, doctoral degrees. All of it can be accomplished at a campus or online. Um, among younger people, let, let's say like 18 to 30, um, how interested is that demographic, in your opinion, on, on truth? I love that you say Gateway stands for truth. Um, what's the interest level of, of young adults in you know, what is really real and what, what is really true? Well, that's a great question. I think that there's a perception among some wrongly that um, that the church needs to water down the truth in order to reach the young. I find the opposite to be true. I think Amen. that young people are energized by by the truth, by 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 appeal to truth. I think that they've realized uh, the the fruitlessness and 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 uh, the pointlessness of trying to construct a worldview without objective truth. And so our 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 school is growing. I think in large part because we do stand unapologetically for the Word of God. And I think what you'll find, Alex, is that seminaries that have given up on the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, inerrant Word of God, they are dying. And for that, I say, praise God. Uh, But (laughs) Gateway, and quite frankly, the other Southern Baptist seminaries have stood for Scripture um, in our our documents and in the classroom. Um, And for those reasons, 
by God's grace, we're growing. And uh, currently, I think that among the six Southern Baptist seminaries, there's something like um, 25 to 30,000 students being trained for ministry leadership. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, everything you're saying just warms my heart, uh, friend, because uh, apologetics is so needed. And like you say, the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, uh, that is the clarion call that we, uh, as the Church, need to stand for, that, um, you know, when we say Jesus Christ is the risen Savior, and through Jesus we are born again and our sins are washed away, I mean, that's not our uh, opinion or our, you know, just uh, wishful thinking. I mean, one of my favorite verses, Adam, is Second Peter one sixteen, where Peter says, "We have not followed cleverly devised fables, uh, but this gospel is reality, isn't it?" Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. What you're saying reminds me of the exchange between Paul and King Agrippa in Acts twenty six which is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I would encourage your listeners to look it up when they get somewhere safe to do so. But Acts 26, Paul is is preaching the gospel to King Agrippa and to this character named Festus. And, and, and Festus says, you're crazy. And Paul says, I'm not crazy, but the words I'm speaking are true and rational. And what I would say to your listeners, and really I think the goal of the book with J.P. Unraveling Philosophy is to encourage Christians that when they stand fast upon the Word of God, what they believe is not a myth, it is not fiction, it is, according to Paul, true and rational words. And so they can have confidence both believing and declaring anything that aligns with Scripture, which the Bible says rightly is unchanging and settled in the heavens forever. Amen. Amen. Folks, if you're just tuning in, Alex McFarland here, and our guest is uh, Dr. Adam Groza. He's the co-author of the brand new book, Unraveling Philosophy, an Interactive Guide, uh, a book which I highly recommend. Uh, where may people find this book, uh, Adam? Well, they can, they can get it at, at really probably any one of their favorite online book distributors, Amazon, um, of course, at Lifeway. Uh, B&H Academic is the publisher, and they can get it uh, if they Google Lifeway uh, Books or B&H Academic, they can get it online. It's at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all of those uh, online retailers. Sure, sure. And uh, hey, uh, I want to talk uh, about the book, and again, the co-author, Dr. J.P. Moreland, he was a professor at Liberty when I was doing my degree in uh, philosophy of religion. Brilliant guy. But... Um, Hey, let me, let me tell you about a picture I took, Adam, and then I think it'll be a good runway for you to talk about the relevancy of, of your book, Unraveling Philosophy. Now, this is all over the Internet, but I actually saw this at a church. I was in the South driving to a speaking engagement. The church I was headed to was not this church, but I passed a church, and they had on their marquee, on their sign, it said, Reason is the enemy of faith. And I, I pulled over and took a picture of it and sent it to my wife. Now, folks, we, we disagree with that. Uh, we believe that faith is support—the Christian faith is supported by sound reasoning. And in fact, Isaiah 118, the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. But um, so I'm, I throw that little anecdote out there uh, to give you a jumping-off point to talk about why this book is so vital. What about this assumption— Adam, that faith and reason are in two different 
worlds. Uh, that's more detrimental than people might realize, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I don't think it aligns with uh, reason itself. Of course, if someone were to say that, they would have to support it, and they would have to support it with reason. So hmm. it would be self-contradictory to say that faith doesn't align with reason, because that statement itself would, would need to be backed up by some reason, which would be self-defeating. But more importantly, it doesn't align with the model of Jesus. In all things, Alex, we as Christians look to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in regards to declaring and defending the faith, we can look at the example of Jesus and see that Jesus is not only kind and gracious, but he's also brilliant. And he uses reason, and he uses logic. And so when Jesus prays even, for instance, in the high priestly prayer, we see examples of where Jesus is 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 praying in such a way that the things he's asking for are grounded in evidence or reasons for the very things that he's asking for. So, for instance, he's saying, Heavenly Father, make the Church one as you and I are one. And so the oneness, the Trinitarian oneness that Jesus is referring to is the foundation or the reason for his prayer. And so if one were to only study the Gospels, and to only study the, the model of Jesus, they would have sufficient evidence uh, for, for the idea that the Christian faith is, is reasonable um, and supported by evidence. And then, of course, you add to that the example of Paul, who even atheist philosophers um, have recognized to be a first-rate intellect. And then you get into the history of Christianity and um, Aquinas and Anselm and Berkeley and um, you, you literally cannot study philosophy without interacting with brilliant individuals who were Christian and applied their intellect to the faith. As Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, we've got a brief break. Can you hang on for another segment, Adam? I'd love to. Amen. Hey, folks, Alex McFarland here. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network. We're talking with Dr. Adam Groza, co-author of the brand new book, Unraveling Philosophy, an Interactive Guide. Because look, we don't want to believe what's false. You want to believe what's true. You want to think precisely. This book will help equip you to do that. Christians need to read this. All people need to read this. Stay tuned. We're going to come back. Brief break. We're going to resume our conversation with Adam Groza after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Alex McFarland here sitting in for Jenna Ellis on Jenna Ellis in the Morning on the American Family Radio Network. We're speaking with Adam Groza, co-author of the brand new book, Unraveling Philosophy, an Interactive Guide. Uh, Adam, again, I want to say how much I appreciate you uh, uh, doing the heavy lifting, getting up early out there on the West Coast, 5 a.m. to do a radio interview. Uh, you're very gracious. Uh, and by the way, folks, I'm going to give the number. You, you might have a question for uh, myself or Dr. Grossa, and the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. So, um, you know, Adam, 
This book is good, and I, I, I really sincerely commend you because um, traveling I, – I took it on myself 20 years ago or 20 years ago plus to try to turn the American church on to apologetics, and, and it is growing. And I know you probably know some of the colleagues with whom we've worked, like Sean McDowell and Josh, and, you know, uh, there, there, there are the pop level – and there are the more academic, like Dr. Moreland or um, William Lane Craig. But um, do you see, let me ask you this, and then I do have a couple of other questions, but um, I believe the light bulb is coming on in the American church for uh, thought, the stewardship of the mind, um, apologetics and worldview, and like you write about philosophy. Do, do you see... The, the aha moment coming across the church that we need to really talk about the way we think? That, that's an interesting observation, Alex. I do think that there is an aha moment in the Bible-believing church, I'll put it that way, yeah. uh, in regards to the importance of apologetics. In my experience, the key to the switch is evangelism. And the reason is that uh, a, a lot of Christians were exposed to apologetics, and they, their impression of apologetics or of apologists is that it's very argumentative and that it is contentious and somewhat prideful and somewhat arrogant. Um, but I think if you look at Scripture, the value of apologetics is responding to objections in the context of evangelism. And so, quite frankly, if a church thinks it doesn't need apologetics, it's not doing evangelism. And so what I've wanted to do in regards to apologetics is put it back in the context of evangelism and Mm -hmm. to tell folks, listen, you don't ever go out to do apologetics. You go out to share the gospel, or you you go out to coffee with a friend to tell them about Jesus. And in the context of sharing the faith, there are objections. They tend to be the same objections. The Bible tells us to be prepared for those objections, and when you respond to those objections, you're doing what the Bible calls apologetics. So I think one of the things that's caused the Church to awaken to the importance of apologetics is its passion for evangelism. Amen. Amen. Uh, You're right, because like Paul, you know, when he goes to uh, Mars Hill in Acts 17, I mean, or so many of the evangelistic little vignettes we read about, um, apologetics is a tool. Uh, Now, let me say, in sharing the gospel, folks, if somebody is just ready to open their heart to Jesus and they really don't have intellectual objections that need to be addressed, you know, you don't have to, you know, take a, a rabbit trail and go off on some a uh, topic that's not really germane to the conversation, but in in the context of evangelism, I mean, apologetics can be so so valuable. Um, your book, um, for one thing, I I love the book because you've got kind of an introductory chapter where you introduce people to you know Socrates and Pythagoras and a lot of great thinkers. Um, I'm curious, uh, Adam, how long did it take you guys to write this? How long did you work on this book? I think that from uh, I think that from sort of the conception through uh, the writing and editing process was about a year and a half. And um, there there aren't that many 
uh, introductory philosophy books that come from a from a specifically Christian perspective, are there? No, there's not. And part of the challenge, Alex, quite frankly, is I've taught for years at undergraduate institutions, and of course JP has taught longer than I have, and, and with such great acclaim and such great effectiveness, it was such an honor to work with J.P. Moreland. Sure, But sure. one of our goals was to write a book that was accessible for today's 18-year-old. And, you know, uh, social media and, and technology has really affected um, uh, just generational capacity uh, for, for sustained abstract thinking. And we didn't want to write a book um, that was that was out to impress other academics. We wanted to write a book that was out to be accessible to the average person. So if someone's listening on the radio and or at work and they're thinking, you know what, I, I took a philosophy class in college and I dropped it after the first day or I fell asleep five minutes in, I really think I want to challenge them. They can pick up this book, Unraveling Philosophy, and I can almost guarantee that if they will put just a small bit of effort, they'll understand the philosophical concepts that they know are important, and also for our faith. I mean, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 that we're not to be taken captive by empty philosophy. And so it is so imperative for Christians to know what are those unbiblical philosophies which which might enslave them, which which might capture unknowingly their thoughts. Uh, So this is an accessible book. Absolutely, and and it's an important book, folks. Because, uh, and I'm not just saying this. Listen, I I only bring things to the table that I sincerely believe matter and will make a difference. And folks, I want to recommend this book, Unraveling Philosophy, by Adam Groza and J.P. Moreland. Again, folks, uh, and with all due respect. Uh, to both of you, Adam, and I know I just can tell in your voice and in your subject matter that you're a man of God and you're being used, and um, I want to cultivate the friendship, Adam. But also, folks, JP is is really one of the great Christian thinkers that God has raised up in the last hundred years, really, and uh, I, I know this has to be very gratifying to you to be able to have written a book with him. But folks, this is very important. Uh, and there's a chapter on the content of character, and you you draw a connection between what we think and what we believe and, and how we live. And I think that's one of the examples of how practical this book is, because there there is a connection between our ethics, our morals, our integrity, or lack thereof, and what we think. Um, Adam, if you would speak to the, the connection between our worldview and our character. Yeah, that's. Uh, I th- I think that really uh, w- we would agree as Christians that that what matters most is our heart before the Lord. Um, that that our faith is one of relationship with our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And of course, the Bible is filled with commands, but but the goal of those commands is to cultivate um, love for God and love for others. And so, um, in 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 one way to put it, and this is based on a book by. Uh, two ethicists, Mark Lederbach and, uh, and Evan Lino, in, who mm-hmm. are at different schools. Um, ethics is really worship. And so we wanted to approach ethics not as some dry philosophical category disconnected from the faith, but really ethics flows out of our faith. And so 
how we live every day is our, the Bible says, it's our spiritual act of worship. It's a sacrifice of praise. And so um, when we make decisions, we're not making them in some sort of cold calculation. We're making them out of a desire to live in a way that, that uh, brings honor and glory to our Heavenly Father. Um, not, not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. And so, you know, when Dr. Martin Luther King talked about, talked about character and a day when people would be judged by the content of their character, we got that phrase, the content of, of character, from Martin Luther King and from the idea that really what we want is a society that isn't fixated on worldly categories, but on biblical character. Of course. Of course. Uh, i got to ask you this, and we're going to queue up a call, uh, Greg from Tennessee here in a moment. But of your incoming students, like the, the freshmen that you teach, um, how robust is their moral knowledge, in your opinion, Adam? It's not good, Alex. I, I was <laughs> speaking recently to a group of college students, and I asked them to name a virtue. I said, just throw out a virtue. And I had 60 blank faces looking at me like what I had virtue? just asked them to describe a square circle. It was, it was a scary and discouraging moment, and it was a wake-up call that we not only have to train people on the Christian virtues, but the categories of virtue and vice, mm. uh, of, of things. And your, your listeners will know this, but a virtue is something that corresponds to the character of God. We, we understand right and wrong because we have a creator who is the definition of good and beautiful and true. Uh, and so if, if, if we are training people to know God, uh, then, then the result should be the transformation of character by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, in Tennessee, we have Greg on the line. Greg, thanks for holding. Greg, are you there? Yes, I am. And I just wanted him to comment on the... the you know, the pillar of absolute truth and how it's being attacked and, and you know, the philosophy has to have a basis of absolute truth. And without the absolute truth of the three words in the beginning, you can't have a philosophy that is absolutely true. And I just wanted to, wanted the guests to comment on that. Well, thank you, Greg. Uh, what do you say? What What is the... What is the pillar and ground of truth there, uh, to quote First Timothy 3.15? Alex, I, I, I couldn't agree with Greg more. I think, I think Genesis 1.1 is easily one of the most important verses in the Bible, and it's why Christians from the beginning have declared in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. And, and if you study philosophers that reject that, like Albert Camus and Sartre and Nietzsche, they knew that without a God who creates, and without a God who reveals, and without a God who saves and redeems, then life is meaningless. And so we as Christians hold the missing piece to the meaning to life that the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put into the hearts of man. And so when Paul says in Romans 1.20 that there's plenty of evidence for God, people suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Greg is exactly right. When we tell people that they are created by God, we are connecting the dots in a way that no other worldview can, which is so encouraging and hopeful, and I hope your listeners hear that and think, I want to not only live for the Lord, but maybe even 
have an opportunity today to help someone connect those dots. Amen. Amen. Folks, we're talking with uh, Dr. Adam Grossa. He's co-author of Unraveling Philosophy. If you've got a question, the uh, number is 888-589-8840. Um, you, you know, I was thinking about this as you were speaking there, um, Adam. The Bible Doesn't the Bible have a lot to say about thinking? You know, you meant, a minute ago you mentioned Colossians 2.8 about, you know, do not beware, do not be deceived or ensnared by the vain philosophies of the world. And, you know, Romans 12.1 and 2 talks about renewing the mind. But the, the Bible has a lot to say about our, our mind and thinking, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. It, on one hand, there are direct commands like love the Lord God with all your mind. And, and J.P.'s written such an amazing book on that. But the Bible also models it. Like, your, your listeners will know that when they read the Bible in their quiet time, it's filled with words like, therefore. Uh, the writer of a book in the Bible will say, therefore. And what that cues you into is the fact that the writer is making an argument where one idea supports another idea, which leads to a conclusion, and that is logic, that is reason, and so you can't even read the Bible without noticing that the Bible doesn't just give commands, it gives reasons for those commands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, that it will go well with you in the land. And so God doesn't just give us commands without reasons, He gives us reasons and evidences and supports and ideas that stack upon ideas that lead logically to a conclusion. And so God not only commands it, but He models it in His Word, which is so encouraging to me as a Christian. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, do, you, do you have a website, by the way? I don't have a personal website, but, um, but, but my website is at gs.edu. Uh, if they search Adam Groza, they can uh, look at other things that I've written and uh, link there. Sure, sure. GS, as in Gateway Seminary, where you're on the faculty. That's right. Yes. Um, we. I know we've got a break here, So, and I see we have some callers. Callers, hang on. We're going to get to you. Um, but uh, l- let me ask you this. Um, I've al- always, from people that are philosophically inclined or people that are, you know, conversant on this, do you have, uh, from the history, you know, past or present, do you have any one or two favorite philosophers that you read after, Adam? Well, probably my personal favorite philosopher is a guy uh, called George Barclay. And Barclay, uh, which is spelled B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y, uh, very, your listeners might know of Berkeley, California. And right. Berkeley, California is one of the most liberal cities in America, but it was actually named after a Christian philosopher who was also wow. a pastor and an evangelist named George Barclay. They pronounce it Barclay, but it's spelled the same. Hold that and, thought. We've uh, got a break. We've we got to take a break. We We're going to come back. Alex McFarland here with Dr. Adam Groza, Jenna Ellis in the morning on the American Family Radio Network. Stay tuned, folks. We'll get to your calls after this break. Don't go away. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. 
Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here conversing with Dr. Adam Groza. Hey, by the way, folks, I'm going to be at the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, July 7 through 9, The Cove. If you've never been to The Cove, it's amazing. It is just wonderful. Their website is the cove.org that's t-h-e-c-o-v-e if you put my name in the space bar alex mcfarland you'll see i'm going to be teaching first and second peter uh we started first peter last summer i'm really going to finish up and the theme is thriving till he comes now uh it's filling up and it's filling up fast but there might be room you give them a call thecove.org i would love to see you there and then also we have six summer youth camps and uh we've been doing kind of biblical worldview camps for youth for 20 years the website of my summer camps and we're in new jersey we're in iowa we're in georgia we're in the carolinas we're in colorado Uh, Folks, I I say this to moms and dads about our summer camps. Invest a week that will count for a lifetime. And we do all the fun camp stuff, ropes courses, horseback riding, all that kind of good stuff. But for five days with your middle school and high schoolers, we, we get into the Word of God, and we talk about what it means to be a disciple, to make sure that they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we talk about like what Adam and I are talking about, biblical worldview, and understanding what it means to to live the faith, defend the faith. The website for my summer camps is equipretreat.org, equipretreat.org. And so keep us in prayer. Um, Adam, you know, before the break, you were talking about George Berkeley, and uh, that that is fascinating. You know, I've I've got some friends here on the East Coast that grew up there near what they called Berserkly, and uh, I did not know that the city where that famed college is was named for a, a Christian thinker of times past. So I, I'm learning something from you already this morning, brother. <laughs> you know, I don't think most people in, in Berkeley know that either, and they probably wouldn't be happy to know it is the interesting <laughs> thing. Wow, wow. Hey, there's so much I want to talk about, but we've got some folks that are calling in, and I want to, uh, you know, give them a chance, because, hey, we're talking about a renaissance of Christian thought here. And uh, my home state of North Carolina, Charlie in North Carolina, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Yes, thanks for taking my call. I'm so blessed just to sit and hear and listen to you young guys. Um I feel like in my home church, listen to my pastor. I can just sit and listen. I love God the truth. Uh, philosophy. Uh, the, the, I, I, I just want to know, I have one question. Uh, it's where can I get this book? Where's the best place for me to get this book? I'm just, uh, you know, I just really want to get it. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. I, I appreciate that. You, you can actually go online and, and order it. At, at B&H Academic, which is the publisher, or Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, your favorite online retailer should have it available for you. And by the way, let me chime in here. It's been my joy to write a couple of books for B&H Academic, as in Broadman and Holman. Great publishing house, very, very trustworthy. And um, I think the the apologetic study bible for students they did that too adam did you contribute to that you know sean mcdowell was the general editor of that one do you remember that one i i a great resource i was not a part of that but i've recommended it over the years it's phenomenal 
Yeah, B&H is great. And uh, Charlie, did you also have a question about uh, philosophy for Dr. Groza? No, I'm just so interested in digging this book. I want to know the best place to get it. Amen. That's great. And, you know, uh, Adam, I was thinking about something um, like this gentleman inquiring about the book. Wouldn't it be good, because I know you've got some questions and some fill-in-the-blanks, I would think this would be a great resource for churches. Uh, somebody could lead a small group or, or teach through this in a Sunday school class or something like that. Uh, that that would be a good use of this book, too, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so, Alex. It, it's, it's called Unraveling Philosophy, an Interactive Guide. And the interactive part is that each one of the chapters has questions, fill in the blank, and exercises to aid in learning comprehension, because you know, all of us know that you often read something and, and, and a week later you go, you can't remember barely what you read. And so the key to retention is some sort of exercise, and this book has that. And as I say, it's really written for accessible comprehension. Uh, so I'm confident that any of your listeners uh, could purchase this book and read it and understand it, and it would help their faith. I mean, our goal, you mentioned Matthew 5 at the beginning of our talk, you know, our goal is really, you know, uh, more salty salt and brighter light. We want Christians to shine more brightly for Jesus. And part of the way we do that is by, is, is by uh, going deeper in our faith and, and growing in our understanding of God and His world. And part of that includes philosophy and ideas uh, related to the faith and worldview. Amen. Amen. Charlie, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to go to Kentucky. Frank in Kentucky, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Uh, this, I was calling to uh, try to, some people will and some people won't. It's kind of like a sideline. Uh, Adam was speaking about ideals, but I usually, when I speak to someone on the phone or face-to-face, I usually tell them that Jesus loves them. And I would suggest for them to uh, put that in there. If they have a have a, a voice, like a voicemail, it puts it in their cell phone. And uh, when someone calls them, they can hear you can hear them say that to them on their on their cell phone. Okay, put Jesus loves you on on their cell phone, uh, their voicemail. That's a, that's a good thought, Frank. God bless you. God bless you. That's a good thought. Well, Adam, you know, along those lines, we are to be his witnesses. Don't you think it's important that um, Christians, you know, kind of fundamentally remember that um, our life mission, we are Christ's representatives in this world, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. There's. Uh, let me share a verse that has always meant a great deal to me, Alex. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the hidden things or the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that are written belong to us and to our children that we may do them. And I think that as Christians, there are things we'll never understand. You know, there's this there's this movement of ex-evangelical or deconversion. There's, oh, there's a whole cottage industry of people that have abandoned the faith and because they had doubts, and they didn't think that there were good answers to their doubts. And I think that if someone were to read this book or recommend this book, they would realize that, you know, you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. God... God creates us with an intellect. He invites us to love Him and honor Him with our intellect, and that is possible. It doesn't mean that all of our questions will be answered, 
Uh, matter of fact, I've always found it interesting that even even in Matthew 28, as Jesus is about to ascend, it says some of his disciples had doubts. Mm. Um, and so we as Christians need to be really aware of the fact that there are things we won't understand, but what we can understand is so much greater that it will sustain our faith in those times of questions and in those times of doubt. Uh, exactly. Um, there, there are two more things that I want to go through, and you, you bring up a good point, like, you know, the greatest Christians, the most faithful, some of the Christians most used by God, you know, it's it's not that there aren't areas of, of struggle and wrestling through issues, and it's not that we just blindly say, well, you know, you don't ask questions. The beautiful thing about the Christian faith is, uh, you know, the existence of God, the authenticity of Scripture, the reality of Jesus risen from the dead. Um, our, our Christian worldview most certainly can stand up to the most thorough scrutiny, uh, honest scrutiny, and then what we do, our responsibility is to, you know, embrace the truth uh, that we find. And, uh, you know, it's, it's real. You know, I think in Luke 24, Adam, where Jesus the risen Jesus, he said, touch me, you'll see that a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. I mean, whether it be God's existence or trusting, you know, uh, the miracles of the Bible, um, God invites the honest seeker to thoroughly, thoroughly take it apart, examine. It is truth, and, and the Christian worldview is in no way threatened by honest scrutiny, is it? No, that's exactly right. And and I, I think what you're saying is so important, because in regards to apologetics, you know, in Jude 3, it says that we're to contained for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And that's so encouraging, because God's Word doesn't change, the Gospel doesn't change. But we will contend for faith against doubt. And when we think about contending for the faith, often we think of, you know, the atheist next door. But in reality, the unbeliever we converse with the most is ourselves. And so apologetics is of great value because it will help us to not listen to ourselves, but preach the truth to ourselves in our own seasons of doubt and in our own valley of shadows that we all go yeah. through, of course. You know, uh, earlier you used a phrase, I wrote it down as it uh, you know, came out of your, your mouth, sustained abstract thinking. Now, folks, here's the thing, and time fleets away, so I'm, I want to cue this question up. But we're living in kind of an ADD culture, and we've in the church to live out the Great Commission and to worship the Lord with with our our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We've got to be in this for the long haul. And uh, a lot of young people have short attention spans. I think social media has really played into that, and we're kind of like an ADD culture now. But to really internalize and embrace some of the beautiful truths of the Christian faith, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the fact that God gave His Word, God preserved His Word, the Spirit of the Lord opens our mind that we may understand God's Word. Um, Adam, if you would, and, and your book will help people rise to this challenge. Talk about what you meant by that, that little phrase, sustained abstract thinking, because I, I truly believe the hope of not only truth, but folks, just flat-out education. Since our world has, to a large degree, abandoned belief in truth, uh, 
and virtue and righteousness. I mean, the education is once again going to be largely in the hands of Christians in the future, I believe. So talk about that sustained abstract thinking and how we Christians, we can serve our Savior by being the custodians of truth. Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking. You know, the Bible says that what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so we as Christians need to encourage one another to consider the unseen reality of, of, of God and, and, and of Christ and His kingdom, which we will see one day. Our faith will turn to sight. But in this life, um, our faith is grounded in this unseen reality, and we need to contemplate that reality in order to live rightly in this world. You've heard it said that if someone's heavenly mind, so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. That The opposite is true. The more heavenly-minded we are, the more earthly good we will be. And God's, God's prescription for helping people to think about unseen reality is the home. It's in the home that God says in Deuteronomy 6, we are to talk about, about eternal, unchanging truth and help our children to be grounded to that. And so I think we need a renaissance in the home of moms and dads talking with their kids, as the Bible prescribes in Deuteronomy 6, about the unchanging reality of God and His Word and His kingdom, so that they will be rooted in such a way that they will be fruitful in this life, not only for their own good, but for the good of society. Mm, well said. Uh, Becky in Texas, uh, last call. Becky, thanks for holding. What's your question for Dr. Grossa? Okay, um, I've been just starting to wonder, like, why did God create everything at all? Why, if he already knew everything that would happen, what would be the fun of it for him? I mean, are we real or are we just thoughts in the mind of God? Great question. Uh, you know, you and yeah, I that, need that to do another show where we take an hour to unpack this, but uh, go for it, Adam. What you got? Yeah, well, I, that's a good question, Becky. I appreciate you calling. Um, I, I think that the, the ultimate reason that God has for creating is for His glory and, and our good. Of course, God didn't need to create anything in order to be fulfilled and happy, as you say, because God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't need to create us for fellowship. He didn't need to create us to receive glory. He's more than capable of, 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 of happiness within the Trinitarian relationships and, and proclaiming His own glory. But he creates us. I think there are many answers to that. But one of the re- one of the answers is love, is that he expresses his love to us in creating us and then in redeeming us. And in the act of redemption, don't forget, Christ is exalted. And it glorifies God that Christ would be exalted so that in the end, at the end of the story, we don't just know God as creator. Adam and Eve knew God as creator. But in the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth, we will know God eternally, not only as Father, but as Savior. And so that not only brings us joy, but it glorifies God, because God is glorified when we delight in Him. And so the eternal state will be filled with souls in resurrected bodies who are eternally happy in the redemption of Jesus. Forgive me, we're just about out of time. I want to thank all the callers and my guest here, Adam Groza of Unraveling Philosophy. Alex McFarland here. Thanks for listening, folks. Stand strong for truth. I'll be back at 3 p.m. Central on Exploring the Word. 
God bless you. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.